This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers this teaching entitled, Reach Out for Good. This is the third message in the series, Do Good, Feel Good Christmas. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. So how are we doing 11 o'clock? Yeah, fired up to be here. Let me tell you, the year was 1973. I was 12 years old. And mom asked me, Kevin, what do you want for Christmas? Best question ever. And I had the answer. It was, it was immediate. I want an electric guitar amp. See, I'd already bought an electric guitar at a garage sale. Now, come on. Who in their right mind would sell and give up an electric guitar? At a garage sale, it doesn't belong in a garage sale, it belongs in a garage band. And I was learning guitar, and this is going to be my future, and I'm going to be famous. And all I need is that electric guitar amp. I not only told my mom, I told Jesus, so that God would tell my mom and dad I needed that amp. Well, Christmas came that morning, and it went. All the presents came out from under the tree, and, and uh, I didn't know guitar amp. I couldn't hide my just deep sadness and disappointment. My dad went over to the closet and he's getting the TV trays out and he said, what's this? Santa left a present in the closet? It says, to Kevin from Santa. Well, I'm tripping over myself and you know what happened. I ripped that thing open. I mean, it was a guitar amp. I mean, it was the greatest gift ever. And for the next two years, I learned I learned how to let it collect dust. <laughs> and then soon enough, it became a garage sale fodder, and off it went. Was that the greatest gift ever? No, it should have been. But is Christmas really measured by, by the gift that makes you feel good? Because I'm telling you, when I got that guitar amp, it was, I feel good. And then, and then at the garage sales, I don't care, just whatever, give me whatever for it. Christmas, is it really about the feel good? Well, we all know it's not. In fact, we've been having really candid conversations together about this, this, this fresh look at, at Christmas from the perspective of, of one player, one man's story, Cornelius. We could sit in the birth of Jesus and that'd be legit, but we're looking at, at a different view, the impact of Christmas. And we're taking this life of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. In fact, we've been, we've been walking along this journey each week and laying it out and, and Cornelius would tell us something about the impact of Jesus reminding us that this is, Christmas is not like a feel-good fix. Christmas is joining the awakening 
That there is a good life that God has for us. And that if Cornelius could spend three weeks with us, he'd start by telling us to gear up for good. Maybe you remember that first week when he talked about some major shifts he had to make in his life. Three of them in particular. One of them, I'll just put it on the screen right now. This one you might remember. It's in your notes. You want to fill in the blank. When you chase feel good, it progressively, what everybody? Destroys good. When you chase do good, it grows feel good. Get in on week one if you missed it. But when you get done with that teaching, as much as that will transform, it's insufficient. And, and he would tell us you need to drill down for good. In other words, it needs to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Aware of the fact that it, it needs to go into your public life, but then it needs to go into your private life, but then it needs to drill down deeper and get into your secret life. And listen, if good doesn't get all the way to the core of your secret life, you never really become good. You never get the good life. Now the risk, as we left off last week, is that that whole teaching <laughs> makes you think it's all about you. And Cornelius would show up again and say, oh, no, no, there's one more. You have to reach out. You have to say it with me. You have to what? Reach out for good. See, we've been asking the question at that point each week, what is the greatest good? What is the greatest good? And I think I know how Cornelius would answer it. So I put it in your notes. I think he would say the greatest good we can ever do is bring someone to Jesus. Write it down. Bring someone to Jesus. Everybody say it with me. The greatest good is to do what? Bring someone to Jesus. I put it this kind of detail in your notes. I wrote it this way, that they might believe, receive, follow, love Jesus. Be forgiven, restored relationship with God, your heavenly Father, the gift of eternal life. Transformed life here and now. In other words, that's Merry Christmas. That's the impact of it. Now, you might not agree with me. You might not agree with Cornelius. But let's have the whole conversation. See, because I think in this world, we start thinking that the, the good life and the best, greatest gift you can give is something in a material arena. But I, I was thinking about Ted Turner the other day. I think of him often because I like Ted's. Ted Montana Grill, get me a little bison. Mm. And so it makes me think of him. And the story that I read about him several years ago, I still have a copy of it. Let me read it for you. American media mogul Ted Turner, the outspoken agnostic who had formerly described Christianity. So this was his description of, of followers of Christ, of the faith of Jesus, of Christmas, who formerly described Christianity as, Christianity as a religion for losers. But he recently affirmed his openness to the faith. When I have a friend that's dying of cancer, I say a prayer for them, Turner said on CNN days before his 75th birthday. Turner, who founded CNN in 1980 and WTBS, which pioneered the superstation concept in cable television, was then asked, well, Dad, who do you pray to? I don't know yet. Whoever's listening. Turner told MSNBC that he no longer considers himself an atheist. He added, I give a lot of money to those less fortunate than myself. Hey, you know, that's one of the tenets of all religions, he says. I mean, the wealthy should help those less fortunate than themselves. The article goes on to say, as a child, Turner wanted to be a missionary, but he lost faith after he watched his little sister, Mary Jean, die of complications from a, fair, from a rare form of lupus. And then it closes. Ted Turner now confesses. Well, I sure don't want to go to hell. I don't blame him. 
I don't either. Who would? Now he's doing good. He's worth 2.2 billion. He's got 2 million acres. But, but he's, he's giving. He's doing good to give to others. And that's a good thing. And yet he's aware that the words of Jesus kind of echo what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? See, Cornelius went about doing good. We've been in this story. Remember the last couple weeks? You can get online, get the teaching if you missed it. Cornelius was going about doing good. He, he was giving generously, kind of like what we're doing in this Christmas offering season. We're, we're all giving uh, uh, so that we can benefit and bless those around us and, and, and be, a, be a part of uh, assisting those who are less fortunate. And some of you have given, some of you will give. But, 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 but listen, Cornelius was doing that, but he was aware of this. Doing good cannot atone for sin. You can't give and cover for your sin. While Cornelius was doing good, Cornelius was still going to enter eternity without God. He was never going to make it to heaven on his do good. And that takes us to Acts chapter 10, where we've been sitting. Take your Bibles, cross the campuses, turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, we're now on a page 1003, looking at verse 42 and 43. And I want to make sure we understand who Jesus is. This is the significance of Merry Christmas, page 1103, 1103. Acts chapter 10, look at verse 42. Now Peter is talking to Cornelius and teaching, and he commanded, and Peter said, God commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge, as who? Judge of the living and the dead. We'll come back. Verse 43. All the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In other words, he's judge and savior. He's judge, meaning this. He's judge of the living and the dead. That's a weird way to say it. He's judge of the living. We're like, okay, we all get that. We're alive. <laughs> but he's judge of the dead. What does that mean? It means the dead are only materially, physically dead. Their body has passed, but their spirit has not. You were created in the image of God. You have a soul. You will live forever, with or without God. But there is life after death, and the judge is Jesus. That's clarifying. But he's more than the judge. He's the Savior. He knows what your judgment is, but out of his love for you, he paid the price, giving his life voluntarily to die on the cross, rose from the dead, and offers forgiveness of sin so that you can be restored. See, the consequences of sin, the payment, the cost that's going to come to all of us for our sin is death. We'll be eternally separated from God. But the gift of God, Merry Christmas, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So while we seek to do good, we don't do good to earn our way to heaven. In fact, it's because we're on our way to heaven that we do good. <laughs> But it does matter that we do good. We join Jesus in doing good. Listen in on some of the good we get to do together as a church. Here's Tra our Travis Billman talking with, talking with Sean James, our director of outreach. This is some of the good we're doing together these days. Check it out. Hey, 12 Stone, I'm here with Sean Janes, our director of outreach here at 12 Stone Church, because I wanted him to share a little bit about the good that we get the opportunity to do all over the world that you might not even be aware of. So Sean, fill us in, uh, fill in 12 Stone a little bit on the good that we're doing, uh, not only locally, but globally as well. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the really cool things that people aren't aware of is that 12 Stone gives away over 10% of the money that comes in every year. Awesome. And that attributes to millions of dollars that's going out in the local community and globally all over the world. We're just wrapping up the Great and Awesome campaign, and our side of that was the wells, and we're developing wells in Kenya 
and Haiti, mm. which will ultimately serve over 300,000 people. Now, what's really cool about that, Travis, is that that allows kids to now go to school instead yep. of be out fetching water. It changes their agriculture. It changes their livestock. Mm -hmm. um, it is water is truly transforming yeah. when it when it comes to um, just a need that they have in their community. Locally, we're doing some incredible things with Habitat for Humanity. We're building three to four houses a year, roughly right now, in several <laughs> counties. And we're doing some really cool stuff at Phillips Prison. We've got an organic ministry there of people that have just come together and they serve the men at Phillips Prison once a month with a service. We've also got small groups that have rallied around our Promise 686 partnership, serving foster parents mm -hmm. at 12 Stone That's Church, so cool. you know, providing food, childcare, yep. and just all the needs to help them better support what they're doing with these kids in the community. And there's just a plethora of other things that we're doing. You know, from street grades to domestic minor sex trafficking to the co-ops. I mean, we could talk about this. Yeah, all yeah, day. yeah, yeah. It's your yeah. job. That's yeah, what you do. I love it. That's so great. And it gives us so much to feel good about because we are doing so much good both locally and globally. So thank you, Sean, for sharing. Yeah, yeah. We can't Thanks wait for to see by. what Thanks else God has to do. Thanks. So isn't that awesome what we get to do? High five your neighbor like that is awesome. Man, the stuff we get to do together is really spectacular. But, but, but at the end of the day, it's not just give water. That matters to the 300,000 that we're impacting. But the real good is that those wells are being managed and led by followers of Christ and leading churches and they're not just giving the physical water that is transforming to physical life but, but they're giving Jesus <laughs> the living water as scripture would call him. That's the, because oh, the greatest good is to bring someone to Jesus. When we do these boxes, these shoe boxes, and, and we thought, man, coming on our 30th anniversary, we've never set a goal before of number of boxes, probably never will again, but we thought just 30th anniversary, what if we tried for 30,000 on our 30th? I mean, it's not a box, it's a kid. We know that, and the impact on life of a kid. We just thought it'd be fun to do that. And, and so, by the way, the numbers are in. Um, no church has ever done this before, and we thought we'd give it a shot. Didn't mean we were gonna make it, and that's okay. The fact we just give it a shot together. But are you interested in knowing what the number, I could, well, no, then I'll move on. Oh, you are, okay. So you ready for this? Here it goes. This is the numbers in, you ready? Thirty-three thousand seven hundred and seventy-four. That's right, church, you killed it. We crushed that. Oh, that's fantastic. Well done, well done. And, and part of what is so cool it, it, the, more people were mobilized and served and got involved in just that piece alone than any other single endeavor collectively in the life of the church. It's awesome. And, and we, but we know, we know that that's, that's not a box. It's a kid and it's more than the kid gets a gift. It, the, the, that gift is the open door to communicate the gospel. You know the, the, the whole heart of evangelism that, that sat in the soul of Billy Graham and transferred down uh, to his son Franklin and is why it's at the core of this whole effort with Samaritan's Purse and the shoeboxes. In fact, Franklin wanted to say just a little, hey, well done, 12 stones, so hear a little word from him. Listen in. Hello, this is Franklin Graham, and I just want to say a big thank you to all you folks at 12 Stone Church there in Atlanta. 
for your support of Operation Christmas Child is just incredible. Over 30,000 boxes you gave this year to children around the world. These boxes give us an opportunity to do evangelism, and that's what it's all about. It's about reaching the children of the world with the truth about Christmas, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. It's not just about evangelism, but we want to do discipleship as well. Every kid we want to follow up with, and we have a 12-lesson program called The Greatest Journey, and this Greatest Journey is an opportunity to disciple these children and help them to grow and to nurture them because I want these children to be evangelists. I want to raise up an army. With God's help and with your help, we're going to raise up an army of young kids around the world that can tell fellow kids about Jesus Christ. It's kids evangelizing kids. And it's a great, great program and we couldn't have done it without you. And so thank you. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. Yeah, isn't that great fun? That's just cool. Now, I'm giving Franklin extra props for the Harley-Davidson hat. I don't know if you noticed, but that was Harley-Davidson. There's just a little more godliness recognized right there. Okay, we got to teach some more. So what, what, what would God teach us from Cornelius? Let's get to some stuff. Let's get to, what, what do we do with this? If that's the greatest good, and that's what we're about doing, and, and Cornelius would say, man, you got to reach out for good. Then I want to give you three things that have to, have, have to kind of be our learning from the day. And the first one is change my mind. Change, God, change my mind. Everybody say it with me. Do what? Change my mind. When I say change my mind, you see, here it is right off the top. God, change my mind about how I see the world. How I see. How I what? See the world. See, Cornelius, like all of us, is raised on earth. And you can start thinking that this is just a material world. After all, that's what the world tells you. It's just a material world, this earth. It just happened by accident. No creator, no, nothing bigger. Therefore, you live for feel good. I mean, just chase it. That's all it is. You came from nothing, you're going nowhere. Live for a material world. And yet something in his soul said, no, this is bigger than that. There's no way this is here by accident. There has to be a creator. There's a creation. So he's praying and he's giving and he's serving. But he doesn't know Jesus yet. And then the angel appears to him. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I've never had this happen. If this happened for you, I'd love to hear your story. Can you imagine an angel physically appearing while you're praying? I mean, you wake up in the morning, you have a little prayer time with God, and an angel appears. Poof! Has a little dialogue with you. I don't care who you are. That'll mess with your head. I mean, even if you're a believer, you're like, that blows my mind. It shouldn't, but it would. I mean, meaning that he, he became aware, okay, I know that we're from a spirit world, but now, now he knows all the more. This whole thing is supernatural. It's what? It's supernatural. I mean, I see this is all bigger. I don't just live for my little material world moment down here on earth. In other words, I'm part of a bigger, say it with me, a what? bigger. I'm part of a bigger world. I have a bigger meaning. I have a bigger purpose. It's a, this is all bigger. And, and the moment you, God, change my mind so that I can see the bigger world that I'm in, then I'm going to live a bigger life. I'm going to live a more meaningful life. I'm going to live an on-purpose life. And when I change, well, God, when you help change my mind in what I see, then God changed my mind regarding what lasts. 
See, life is, life is not about a guitar amp. That's not going to change my life. That's not going to change the world. <laughs> it's going to fade and it's going to end up in a garage sale. And by the way, so is your house. So is your car. So is your business. So is every material thing that you're working for. Every trophy will come to nothing. It's just going to burn up in the end. What lasts? God and his word last forever. Man, change your mind about what lasts. Change your mind about what matters. What matters is your soul. Your what, everybody? Your soul. That's why at least I give props to Ted Turner for courageously and publicly saying, you know what, I don't want to go to hell. I don't blame him. What's a profit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? And if 2.2 billion won't do it, we're all pretty much in trouble. Because I'm not there yet. <laughs> and he can't buy his way to heaven. That's the bad news. The good news is, the way's already been made and paid for. Isn't that beautiful? Merry Christmas. Jesus Christ made the way. That is the great celebration. He doesn't have to buy his way. He, he, he can't make his own way. Jesus did. So then what matters changes. And by the way, when you, when you change your mind in terms of what you see, God changed my mind so I can see as you see. I, I want to see the whole world. I want to see it as it is. I changed my mind. I, I need to see what lasts. I need to see what matters. And I need to see who I am. I need to see who I am. Turn over to Matthew, or rather Acts chapter 10 again. Acts chapter 10, right where we left off, but look at verse 24. Acts chapter 10, verse 24. Cornelius. This, this is something that would be easily missed. In fact, I'll go up. Verse 23. Uh, this is when Peter was coming to his house. The next day, Peter started out... Uh, uh, from Joppa, and, and, and some of the believers uh, with him went along. Verse 24, the following day he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together, had called together, had called together his relatives and close friends. Stop. You could read this and may have read it several times and never noticed the significance of that. He already knows God's about something significant. He's heard about Jesus in terms of the Jesus movement because he's a contemporary of him. Now, he's not a follower of Christ. He doesn't understand the whole story. But he knows that God's already about to do something because the angels come and told him. Hey, I mean, stuff's, hey, something's coming. And in that moment, he brings people with him. Well, look at this. People who are far from God but near him, he brings them in. He brings in his family, and he brings in his relatives, and, and he brings in his friends. He brings in his close friends. See, the people in his world, he's like, y'all got to get in on this. Listen, God's doing something. I see the world different. I'm telling you what lasts is different than what you think lasts. I'm telling you what matters is different than what we all think matters. You got to get in on this. Come here, come here. He gathers them all together so they can hear the message that Peter's about to deliver. I mean, he was an evangelist. He was a witness before he was even a follower of Jesus yet. <laughs> He's bringing them in. They, in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look on the screen. We'll put it there for you. Verse 20. He describes who we are. The Holy Spirit through Paul describes us. We are therefore Christ what, everybody? Ambassadors. Say it with me. We are therefore Christ what? Ambassadors. Really, look at this. As though God were making his appeal through us. To the world, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
<laughs> I got to change my mind about who I am. I am Cornelius. I am how God is going to reach people who are far from him and near me. God put them near me for a reason. I'm going to bring them in. Because the greatest good is me bringing someone to Jesus. Therefore, I am. you got to change how you see the world. you got to change your mind. I am Cornelius. Say it with me, everybody. I am Cornelius. I know it sounds like a weird chant. Do it again, though. I am Cornelius. And one more time, because you haven't really joined me yet. So when I hear everybody, just get over it. I know it's not. Man, this sounds cultic. It'll be okay. Just, you get the context, okay? So let's say it together one more time. Ready? I am Cornelius. And the moment you know that, it changes everything. And now you got to engage your heart. Now that I know who I am, Cornelius would say, engage your heart. Let, let me illustrate. Let me take a, take a story. A story that took 25 years to tell. Back 25 years ago, on the 5th to 6th anniversary of 12 Stone, there was a couple by the name of Rick and Renee Sargent. Rick and Renee Sargent accepted we, I am Cornelius. So they reached out to their neighbors. Their neighbors who were far from God but near them. The name of their neighbors was David and Candace Little. And just a side note, they had a daughter named Rachel. So the sergeants invited David and Candace to the church. They came and God did a great work in their life and, and growing them spiritually. It's kind of a, a cool progression of, of God moving. And, and, then, and then they moved away while we were at the Jazzercise season. And, and I, I knew nothing of their story for like 18 years. But during that 18 years, Rachel grew up from this very young child to a young adult. And Rachel now moved back in the area. And she wasn't following Christ, and a man named Brad befriended Rachel and Rachel's fiancé, Dennis. And Brad said to himself, I am Cornelius. <laughs> and he invited them to 12 Stone, finding out it was actually the same church that she went to when she was a kid so long ago. And Rachel settled her faith with Christ and was baptized. And Dennis settled his faith with Christ and was baptized at the Hamilton Mill campus. And God was doing a great work in them, transforming their lives. Because Brad said, you know what? I am Cornelius. Now the cool thing is that, that Rachel and Dennis now recognize, you know what? We're Cornelius. Now, we're the ones. And, and they helped launch the Brazelton campus. Now, let me pause for a moment. See, when you realize who you are and God engages your heart, the only thing at risk is that the longer you're a Christian, the more cold you can become to people who are far from God. You may not even mean to, but you can just kind of get distracted. You get, get busy. Get kind of caught up in church. Just get, they, when you've been a Christian for five or more years, 10 years plus, after a while, it's like, oh, man, it, just, it takes a lot of energy to be invested in about people who are far from God, even though they're near you. You can get weary of it, tired of it. In fact, I, I think that was happening to me prior to us having Jaden, child number four, in a period of time I probably didn't fully recognize. 
But I was having something of a dialogue or a whining moment with God, and I just said, how long do we have to push? How aggressive do we have to be? It's costing a lot of effort and energy to reach people in the church and the whole uh, next uh, required for us and, and expansion and just everything with it. God, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm exhausted. How long do we have to push? And, and God set a picture uh, for me at that day and time that um, I've never forgotten, and he still kind of taps into from time to time. He said, well, Kevin, why don't you just write down? There's just a dialogue I had with God. Why don't you write down the names of your, of your kids? And again, at that moment, we had the three kids. So I wrote down Josh, and I wrote down Julissa, and I wrote down Jake. And then the Lord whispered, uh, now why don't you go ahead? These are your kids. I know you love them. Why don't you go ahead and circle two? Just pick two of them. And those two go to heaven. And the other one will not. And I'll let you pick. Take your time. Just circle two. And I, I was undone. I said, God, I'm not picking two. I'm not picking two. No, no, just pick two. You pick the two. God, I'm not picking two. They're all, they're all my kids. You give me three kids. You take three to heaven. You, I understand the world. I know what's at stake. There's no way you give me three kids and you only take two to heaven. And I'm not two. No, go ahead and circle two. I'm not circling two. And I just began to weep before the Lord. And I was all messed up. I mean, I was undone. And as I just broke and sat before him and said, you can't do that, God. You got to take them all. He said, well, when, when two out of three of your kids is okay for you, Two out of three for my kids is okay for me. And everybody around you are my lost kids. And I want you to treat them like they're yours. Now get back to work. Now get back to work. I got back to work. You know, maybe the only reason God's having this conversation for some of you right now is because you got to get back to work. You forgot you were Cornelius. Do you know a half a million people within reach of the eight campuses of 12 Stone don't know Jesus? And they're going to hell without him. And we got work to do. We're not the only church, but we got work to do. And the moment you know that you are Cornelius, and that the people that are near you but far from God, you are the one God will use. You're going to say, train me, <laughs> train me. What are you going to say? Train me. I mean, you're going to beg. Train me, make me good. I don't know how to do this. That's why I think in the third place, <laughs> Cornelius would say, you're going to want training. Train for action. By the way, I, I, I got going on this story. Let me finish the story. It's really kind of cool. Let me go back to the story. So we have Rachel and, and Dennis and, and they're launching the Brazelton campus. They're pioneers. They're like, we are Cornelius. And, and they, they, they have these neighbors, Shane and Laura. Shane and Laura are married about 10 years, and they have four beautiful children. But their marriage is breaking down. And it's obvious to Rachel and Dennis that uh, God put us here. And, and we are Cornelius to this family, and they, they're neighbors of ours. And they began to pray for him in 2017 in an aggressive and more intentional way and having conversations with them. And finally, about six, nine months ago, Dennis tells the story how he was at the mailbox talking with Shane. And the Spirit of God prompted Dennis to pray for Shane right there. Like the Spirit of God says, I want you to pray for him right now. 
and, and invite him to church. And he's like, like live, like, like out loud, like tell him, let me pray for you. God says, yes. And, and not when you know it's not God, because that's so weird, you're not going to do it, right? And Dan says, man, I'm telling God I'm not going to do it. It's going to weird him out. It's going to weird me out. But he said, well, I felt like God said I had to. So I said, ah, Shane, buddy, uh, friend, ah, could I pray for you right now? Right here by the mailbox? And like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and, and he prayed for him. And they said, man, I'd love to invite you to come to church. He went back in and told his wife, Laura, he said, I, I think I just weirded out Shane. I know I weirded out myself. I think this whole effort is over. <laughs> Curiously, God used that and Shane started coming to church, but he came at this campus. He wanted to come a, a distance away and he just sat up in the corner <laughs> for weeks as their marriage fell apart. And there was such baggage and such bitterness and such brokenness, they divorced in July of this past summer, 2017. But meanwhile, Rachel was trying to pour into the life of Laura and kept telling her, listen, there's a seat for you at Brazelton. Anytime you are ready to come, you come sit right next to us. You matter to God. You matter to us. And Laura started to come. By the At The Movie series, when we presented the love of Jesus and the forgiveness and restoration he would offer, Laura said yes to Jesus and at the open baptism, surrendered to Christ and was baptized. Here's her baptism. Check it out. So, Laura, I have two questions for you. The first one is this. Do you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Yes, I do. And the second is, do you commit to follow him all the days of your life? Yes, I do. Well, then, Laura, it's my honor and privilege to baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's okay, church. We can celebrate that. That's a beautiful thing. That happened on October 1st. Now, God changes Laura's heart. Meanwhile, Shane's at this campus, and God's messing with him. And, and, and as he restores each of them to himself, as God restores them to himself, he starts changing their heart toward each other. See, they'd said when they divorced in July, I never want to talk to you. They decide not to talk to each other apart from trading off kids for logistics. But God was changing their heart. Laura said, I, I think God wants to do something. So they met with their campus pastor, Dan Vanderwall, and they began to meet with a counselor. All that to tell you this, last Sunday, on December the 10th, in between the services, Shane and Laura were remarried, and God's restoring that. Check it out. There's a picture of him. There's a picture of the ceremony last Sunday. Check this out. This is a picture of Dennis, the next picture of Dennis and Rachel. Give it up. I mean, that right there, that's being Cornelius. Good for them. Heroes in the kingdom. And that's what their neighbors, marriage restored. Here they are with their four kids. How precious is that? How beautiful the story someday, 10, 20 years down the road when the kids say, you know what? God did an amazing thing. My, my parents divorced. No, not your parents. Oh yeah, blew the whole thing up. And then God did something amazing and we've had an amazing life. Here's a picture of, of their friends and family who are around and celebrating the ceremony. That was all last Sunday. See, that's what God does. That's Merry Christmas. That's the power of what Jesus does. That's why Jesus came. And that's what he still does. By the way, uh, when they got married 10 years ago, they got married by the justice of the peace, didn't go on a honeymoon or anything. Last Sunday, they got married by their pastor at their campus as followers of Christ, having newly experienced the gift of eternal life. And it was such a unique story, we wanted to do something unique as a church. So 
Dan Vanderwaller, campus pastor, dropped by this week and gave them their first family Bible and inside it, two airplane tickets to anywhere so they could go on their first honeymoon. What a beautiful thing we get to do together as a church. Isn't that fun? I mean, that's just Merry Christmas fun. And all that is because, because we say, I am Cornelius. Now listen, I want you to see this. The only way you can see these stories is by looking back. That's a great 30th anniversary story, but you got to go back 25 years all along the way. And you see God positioned people on purpose. Because wherever you are on map, you're on mission. Now listen, you should not think that you live where you do randomly. You're not in your house, townhouse, apartment, rental home, in that location on accident. God has you near people who are far from him. You're Cornelius. You shouldn't think that you're accidentally in your job, randomly around people. You're Cornelius. God has you there on purpose. See, let's just get practical. That's why you say, you got to give me some, you got to give me some Christmas Eve invitations. Because I got people near me far from God and I'm going to invite them. And I know it's going to be a fun night, a meaningful night, but the gospel is going to be presented and they need to hear about Jesus. They may not say yes that night. They might, but that's my role. You got to give me invitations and ways to invite people for the new January series, Keep It Together. Because that Keep It Together original family series about how you keep a family together in a culture that's losing the capacity to do that. I mean, honestly, I have people come up with me, are single, they're dating, they say, I need, a, I need to know how to build a family. I have come from places where our family wasn't good. I don't know how to build one. Can you help us? Or they're engaged or, or, or they're just getting married or they have new children and like, oh, we need help. How do we get to the next? Or they've been married for a while and they're like, this doesn't work. <laughs> or they're blended family or they're divorced or they're single parent. And they're like, I how do you build family and keep it together that's why we all need that series like oh my goodness we all need that i need to invite this is going to be powerful that's why we're doing things unique like like starting in january piloting a six-week pilot of monday night service now think about monday night so it's going to be held at sugarloaf campus for all of 12 stone for anybody who needs it well why would we do that because the same service as a sunday why would we do something that weird (laughs) because culture's changed a lot of people work on Sundays and they, and, and they can't make it. Or, or they watch online. They don't have a, a way to get here on Sunday. But if we're on Monday night, it would open a door. Well, you can join on Monday. A lot of people have travel ball and, 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 and they just have no way on, on Sunday and over the weekend. Like, oh my goodness, we, if we had Monday night, that would open up a door for our family. But most importantly, it's because we know the culture's changed. Sunday's not sacred. You've invited and your friends won't come because it's Sunday. But if we're on Monday night, they might come. We're going to go test it out. Why? Because the greatest good you can do is to bring someone to Jesus. In February, we're going to celebrate our 30th anniversary. Ten years ago, we changed our name because God was redefining. On our 30th, we're going to change our why and our what. We're going to mess with this little lost least leader conversation. I think in a way that builds it around this Cornelius being sent story and some training that God wants to do, and it is going to be a powerful exchange. But until then... Maybe it's just right now you think of the three people that you want to invite and say, dear God, help me be Cornelius to them. So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, who are those people? The very people you're saying right now, I need to be involved in their lives because the greatest good I can do is bring someone to Jesus. In a second, I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray for us. Because I don't know about you, when I, when I see a story like that play out, 
In the moment, I think I would have missed the significance. But when you look back, you see how God just processed this one step at a time. And my mind always goes to those four kids. I don't know, just that's where my head goes in that story. And I think of those four kids. And if, if back in the day, the sergeants didn't make the invitation and didn't step up in that moment and, and didn't say, I am Cornelius, in that moment, those four kids might have missed out on the redemption that Jesus offers. And the invitation for us here and now over the next seven days is to say, I, I want to be, be somewhere in a story like that for somebody else. And if you look at your story, you could map your own story out most likely and how you got to this place here now today. And so the reality is Christmas Eve is a spectator sport until you have a name and a face. See, this week I, I went to my five-year-old son's Christmas thing at, at, at his school and they sung songs and it's just painfully boring. until I looked up and my son was looking for me. We made eye contact and he gave me the thumbs up and that was, for the rest of the time, I'm fully engaged. Thumbs up. I was fully engaged. Why? Because there's a face and a name now. I don't care about kids singing off key until I see my kid and I got a face and I got a name and Christmas Eve will be a spectator sport for you until there's a name and a face. So I wanna do this together. Take your tear off card in the bulletin, tear it off, all of us together. You can make some noise in church, it's all right. Tear them off. If this is your first time here, you might have filled out one side already, that's fine. You can leave that. Flip to the other side if you need the space. And I'm going to pray for us. And I'm asking this from God. God, would you put names and faces inside of the hearts of this room? Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, a coworker, maybe it's a waitress at a restaurant you go to several times a week and you know her name or know his name and maybe it's someone at a gas station you, you, you frequent and there's just a guy that you, you know, I, that's a name and a face God's put in my heart. And as I pray, I wanna invite you to write down maybe the top three names that God puts in your heart. And then when the offering goes by here in a minute, we're gonna ask you to put those in the offering plate because we're gonna pray with you. As your church, we're gonna pray with you because there are people, 500,000 within our reach that don't know Jesus yet and we're not okay with that. And how does that change? It changes by one person inviting one person and Jesus changing one person. And we're gonna jump into that together. So as I pray, maybe you just keep your eyes open this time in prayer, it's okay. <laughs> and maybe you just write some names down, maybe two or three names that God just puts in your heart and we're gonna pray together. So let's bow our heads. And as I pray, you can engage with God if there's not a name in your head yet. God, would you give me a person, a face, a name? So Father, we, we start by saying thank you for Jesus. There is no one like you. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope God, you didn't leave us to figure it out on our own. You sent your only son to rescue us. And for those of us who have been found by Jesus, we have to find other people who don't know you yet. So God, even now, would you put faces and names in the hearts of the people in this room? God, bring up faces. Even now, if we, maybe their mind's blank. They can't think of anybody. Even in this moment, would you put a name and a face of someone you'd say, step up and make the invitation? God, first I pray for us collectively. Would you give us courage as a church? Give us courage to step out and have a conversation we might have been, been worried to have or fearful to have or nervous to have for a while. Give us courage. Then secondly, God, would you prepare the hearts of those that you've placed in our minds. Prepare the hearts of those who need to be invited. Prepare them for the conversation. Soften their heart. Make that, make that a yes from them to be here. And lastly, God, who cares if the room's full of people don't find you? So God, would people find Jesus next weekend? 
As we present the gospel and the good news that Jesus came to rescue us, may there be hundreds upon hundreds of people that say yes to you. And may, may there be stories written like we just heard about. So God, we trust you with all this. Would the names on these papers be more than just a handwritten thing, but may it be a mission for our lives for the next seven days. We love you in your heavenly name. Amen. Amen.